This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros. Cami here, recording from Argentina, so I hope that this gets through to Jordan, my engineer. Jordan, I'm so sorry for the delay. Oof! This week's episode is a chat with the amazing Justin Tranter, who used to be um, a singer in his own right, and now spends most of his time as a songwriter. Um, He has written most of the hits that you hear on the radio today. Please enjoy this chat with Justin Tranter. And if you live in Los Angeles, I will be doing my show separately one more time this year um, at Dynasty Typewriter on the 14th of December. Woo-wee! Come out. Last, last ep- uh, not episode, last show was incredibly fun. Huge turnout. One more chance to see it in LA. The 14th at Dynasty Typewriter. And if you live in Massachusetts, I will be there this weekend in Springfield on the 22nd and 23rd. So I'll see you then. Bye! I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. I always have folks introduce themselves. Will you introduce yourself? I would love to introduce myself. Hi, I am Justin Tranter. I am uh, a songwriter and an activist. Uh, I live about two blocks from where we're recording this right now. Oh, do you? I do. Um, I'm from Chicago. Trying to think what else to introduce myself. Um... Yeah, I think that's it. I didn't know you were from Chicago. Yeah, born I'm, and raised in Chicago. I'm from Chicago. Where are you from? I grew up. Well, I grew up way out in Lake Zurich. And sure. Then went to high school in the actual city. Where did you go to high school? The Chicago Academy for the Arts, just like River West area. Okay. Yeah. Where were you? Well, so I grew up in Western Springs, which is like near yep. Hinsdale and Lagrange. So yep. Lake Zurich is. Let me think. Is it north? Anyway. Yes, it's like near Barrington. Sure. Yes. We were like, um, uh-huh. we where the town that like Barrington made fun of. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. And then, but then I um, actually went to high school further west. Oh wow! Uh, at like an academy, like a uh, like Bennett Academy. It's mm. a very Catholic school. Ah. And then I lived in the city for a bunch of years as an adult. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Um, but you are a you are a songwriter, and I will also say like, mm, I mean. I, this is what I'll say. I'm I very feel, excited for what's to I come I feel here. that you are just cl- <laughs> like clearly one of the most successful songwriters that's working right now. I mean, just that that feels true to me. I mean, just I'll, as a d- person looking at you, I will receive that. Yes, I will. I will take that as a beautiful compliment. Yeah, I was listening to because I knew I like I knew I was refreshing myself this morning on yeah. what you had written that was recently stuff that I loved. Um, well, right now, as we're recording this, I do have the number one and two song on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> but also, um, Bad at Love yes. and Make Me Feel. And I was listening to Sorry on repeat while I was um, oh, wow. uh, while I was taking a shower today because, because I forgot 
I just forgot about that song for a minute. You yeah. know what I mean? Like there was a minute that that was like a full it took over jam, yeah. and then now it's just been a couple years. Yeah. Um. But yeah, you have you have written and co-written some of the biggest hits in the last bunch of years, and I feel like yeah. that's one thing that sometimes folks don't realize. Like I certainly am not part of the music industry, so but, I don't necessarily realize that there are. A few folks behind the scenes <laughs> sort of writing everything, you know, uh, we, or at least like a lot of that's it. There, there's a few folks that are like there's like but it's really actually kind of beautiful. The songwriting community out here in L.A. is is pretty awesome. And of course, we're all human beings, so people get competitive, but it's a different kind of competition because we everything is so collaborative. You know, the the average song has like four songwriters on it. So right. it's like you're kind of excited because you're like, oh, if so-and-so's having a big hit right now, well, I, I, they're on my calendar for in, in five weeks, so like that only helps everybody. And it's this really wow. interesting thing where, of course, as I said before, we're human, so of course people can get competitive and jealous and whatever. But for the most part, it's like the most beautiful creative community I've ever been a part of. And, you know, I was in like the anti-folk scene in the Lower East Side. I was in like this glam whatever scene that we kind of, my old band, Semi Precious Weapons, kind of were like the leaders of where, you know, like Gaga's first two shows as Gaga were opening for my band. Like we create, like I've been a part of a couple different scenes and I have to say, I know this seems crazy, but like the Hollywood pop songwriting scene is like the most supportive and collaborative scene I've ever been a part of. Wow. Also, <laughs> I actually don't know how any of this works, even though I have other friends who yeah. are musicians and songwriters that collaborate how you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I don't usually sit them down and go like, so tell me the, how this works. <laughs> yeah. So maybe I'll ask you. Yeah. Um, when there are four writers on a song or right. something like that, how does that work? When you say somebody's on your schedule for next week, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um, I am talking about, um, so you go into a room. Uh, I would say at the least it's two songwriters and one producer. And the producer um, does get songwriting credit nowadays because, and I don't think that's a bad thing always. You know, there are some times where it's like very clearly like, I'm playing the chords of the song and writing the lyric and melody with my co-writer. And it's like, we kind of wrote, wrote the fucking song, but you made a beat. And so now you're listed as a songwriter. That is not my favorite thing that's Wait, happened Wait, can I slow me. you down one second? Because yes. this is literally how the amount that I don't know. Oh, so when you alien say, language. When sorry, you say sorry. you're going into a room, yes. there are instruments in this room. Sometimes. Okay. Other Sometimes times. Sometimes there's I'll, just a computer. A computer. Got it. Computer. I've heard of those. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which but I, literally, I, don't I was going to say pen and paper. Yeah. That's where my brain went. I forgot it's, that you can. So if you're using a computer, are you then making like, like you're scoring? And, and, I don't even know the words. You're making it, making a track. You're making a track. Making a track. <laughs> I got you. No. Yeah. And thank you for reminding me that I'm speaking a language that is not normal. Yeah. So got it. you go into a room and there's no, at least always a keyboard and then normally at least a guitar and then a computer. Um, but there are a lot of amazing young producers that have do not know how to play any instrument, but the way they play their computer is just as masterful and took as just as much time as it took to learn a guitar. Um, but I, I like instruments. I'm almost 40. Sure. Um, so instrument, yeah, I'm, I'm queer as they come. The reason I started making music was because of very young, like movie musicals. And then like in my high school years, I started writing songs because I was so obsessed with the whole Lilith Fair movement. And okay, like, well, we have a lot to talk about. We have a lot to talk about. I have one more clarifying question. Yeah, of course, please, please. 
And then I'll ask you about Lilith Fair. Um, <laughs> and we'll just spend the rest of the time talking about that. Um, uh, when you say go into a room, is it like a recording studio? Like, yeah. what kind of a space is it? It's a recording studio. I say like 70% of the time it's a recording studio. And it's funny because there'll be like this insane gear from the 70s, 80s, 90s that is filled in this room that is never used. It's like... You but that plug like a computer has in. been there, has been used, and witnessed all of these songs throughout history. It's crazy. And then you know, I, I, my favorite um, producers to work with are two guys named Matt Man and Robin, and they play every instrument under the sun. And that's so like, their names. Isn't that the best? Because <laughs> their names are literally Matthias and Robin. They're oh. Swedish, and so they go by Matt Man and Robin, which is just too congrats cute. to them. <laughs> I know, right? I was with them last night. We were celebrating our Selena song that just came out. Um. But so they like in, when when I'm if, if I'm with them in a big studio, they're actually using a lot of the equipment that's there and all of yeah. the instruments, blah blah. And then sometimes though the room is just like I have a room at my house um, that just has like a desk and speakers and whoever the producer is plugs in their laptop and we have a microphone. And um, even though I just moved, I had a room like that in my old house and we've made some pretty big records just in those rooms. Um, so sometimes like seventy percent of the time, big recording studio. 30% of the time, it's at my house. So then the goal is that you're producing the tr the track that then you're going to send to the artist? Or is the artist already in, like, when, yeah, so how, when are you pairing up the song with the person who's going to then sing it? For sure. So when I first started writing songs with and for other people was in 2013. Um, and when that started, it was just with other songwriters and producers. There was no artist because... Uh, my band, we weren't massive, but we did cool things, but it wasn't big enough to just get me in the room with massive pop stars to try to write songs with them. Um, so you started that way, and that's with a couple, um, Fall Out Boy Centuries, um, Selena Gomez, Good For You. Um, there was a couple songs that like the artists weren't in the room for, and we sent them in, and luckily they liked them. And then that opens the doors where then like, I now write everything with Selena, like one-on-one because -on -one, she knows exactly who she is and exactly what she wants to talk about. But it took me and Julia Michaels writing Good For You to get us in the door with her. And now it's it's been off to the races for five years with her. Um, so now I would say for the most part, I'm with the artist. Um, you know, and you have artists like Halsey and Imagine Dragons. And these people are amazing, amazing writers. And they really don't necessarily need need me. But um, they want to see what happens, you know, and they want to collaborate. And I love that that too, because then I'm just there kind of, I'm there to elevate and focus what they're doing. And like my, my, my goal is always to like bring the artist like as close to their truth as I possibly can get them and comfortably as I can get them. Cause I do feel like, um, the more truthful a song is, the more it's going to connect and fans, sure. especially now with social media, like people know who these artists fucking are. And so if, right. it, if it feels like the song isn't coming from them, they're going to smell bullshit so quickly. Um, and I just, so I love that. So it's I'm normally with the artist now, which is great. So when you're with the artist, is that, does that person say, I have an idea, this is the vague concept and help me work on this? Or is it you coming? Like, it's, what's, what do you say is the percentage on Every day thing? is different, you know, and a lot of it just starts from conversation. And we just talk. And if it's, if I know them, um, you can, you know, it's, you get off to the races easier. And if you, if I don't, it's like, um, you just kind of start have to start asking kind of like very personal questions very early yeah, on. Yeah, that makes sense to me, right. And you're just like, which I 
think is fabulous. I really like it. Some other songwriters, it's like, oh, I just met this superstar and I'm supposed to ask them about like their deepest, darkest. <laughs> um, but sometimes bringing someone to their truth is, is fun. You know, I spent, um, when I, uh, me and Matt Men and Robin spent like five days with Joe Jonas um, when he was at the early stages of forming his other band, the DNCE. And we were kind of trying to all take it too seriously. And we were all like in our heads. And after getting to know him, I was like, well, you're just like, this really nice, really fun, goofy, sexy guy. Let's write a goofy, sexy song. And then we wrote Cake by the Ocean. So like getting him, of course, he has deeper aspects to his soul, which I've written with him since then. But like kind of breaking the ice with him was just being like, let's just be ridiculous because like you're fucking funny as shit and you're really hot. So let's just do, <laughs> let's do that. So like not every time getting someone to their truth is like asking the deepest, darkest secrets. It's kind of just getting to know them and figuring out what, is going to really connect. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. I I had to I had the opportunity a couple years ago I hosted there's like this big thing that Dan Reynolds yes. and Imagine Dragon says yeah. that's um that's called Love Loud and yes. I hosted that thing. I went I went the second year. Or yeah. was I, were we either the same year? I I think I feel like we like essentially like brushed shoulders between glad and love like, loud yeah. you and i just brushed shoulders yeah yeah, all the time. yeah yeah in some sort of like a if it was like the Birdman like continuous <laughs> shot like it would have <laughs> gone over to you and picked up to you and you would have walked back to the stage or whatever i can't remember if i saw you there um but yeah we're like circling each other yes um but that was you know i'll say i had never like i had only imagine dragons isn't necessarily uh, the band that like speaks the deepest to my soul. So yeah. like I had only heard their songs sort of on the radio and passing. Yeah. And it was, it was actually truly amazing to watch Dan perform. I have very rarely seen an artist. That, He's one of the best performers that perform ever. like that. Like yeah. I, I mean, I, I actually have goosebumps now <laughs> as I'm talking about it. He was so beautiful to watch. Yeah. He's, he is so beautiful to watch. Yeah. Because, I mean, it was a 40,000... It was like a... There were 40,000 people there. We were there the same year, for yeah. sure, then. Yeah. There were 40,000 people there. He was using all of that energy in such a specific way. Yeah. He was, like, giving this incredible performance. So, anyway, that's all just to say... No, his allyship is at a level I've kind of never seen. Yeah, he was super kind He puts and his money where his mouth he is. Listening. He puts his platform where his mouth is. Yes. Like it's, it's fucking awesome. But just to see somebody perform a song, and then, you know, then to realize like, oh, and you, and this isn't something that he, because I think sometimes we can, I just think when you're not in the music industry, you can be like, wow, this is this person's song. It's exactly where they're coming from. And then you sort of see that there are co-writers or other writers or that it's just written by somebody else entirely. And you're like, what a sham. But anyway, <laughs> what I guess what I'm saying is you cannot, I, I'm backing up your point that yeah. you cannot perform. I don't think it's possible to perform something that would be that uh, a big, a large distance from who you are, like yeah. the way that he performs, right? So, it's, so it has to be something much, that you it's him line up with, yeah, hundred percent. It's the songs that I've been fortunate enough to write with him. It's him. It's his story. It's his life. It's and I, I'm there to elevate and focus and and poke holes in what I think could be better and stuff like that. And so it's um, it's interesting. And I, I do think it's very funny though because I'll meet people all the time. Like, wait. So Justin Bieber didn't write that song. I'm like, no, no, he was a part of the process. He, we were just there, like, blah, blah, blah. And I, but I find it so funny because I'm like, well, well, Whitney Houston never wrote a song. And Frank Sinatra never wrote a song. <laughs> and Dolly Parton has written some of the greatest songs in American history, but she's also happy to sing a song someone else wrote if she thinks it's awesome. So I find that very interesting. Meryl Streep 
doesn't write her script. Wait, come on though. But the Devil Wears Prada, she wrote that though. That's so her. It's, it's that's a, her. That's Matt in the booth. She. Matt, can you, Meryl can you Google that for the us? Devil Wears Prada, right? Or was it Emily Blunt? My favorite. It's Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway, right Anne Hathaway. The three of them got in a room. It was a recording studio so, at your house. I, <laughs> they came to your house. They wrote the Devil Wears Prada. By the way, is... I'm a ghostwriter on Devil's Wears Prada. It's let finally, me ask you a question. Out. And this is the most hard-hitting question of the interview. Are you ready? Okay. I You're in a hotel room. Okay. The, you turn on the TV. Mm-hmm. The Devil Wears Prada. Mm. What percentage of time times that that happens because it's it is one of the most on tv movies what percentage of times do you watch the rest of the movie from wherever you it is on when you turn on the i'm gonna have to be honest with you oh my god please i don't really turn on the tv in hotels oh so this but, was okay. just i just ruined the, i ruined well, the, i just bombed all right, this all right, question okay all right okay you don't, all right so you're not in a hotel room you're at you're at okay my, my mom come, and dad's house yeah you're my you're at you're at my mom and dad's house <laughs> Yes. And they, they're watching The Devil Wears yes. Prada. Can you pay attention to anything that they're saying? Because it's such a good movie. It's an amazing movie. I may have loaded the question by saying that. No, it is, it is a really amazing I movie. I feel like I travel so much for my job. And yeah. 90% of the time, if I turn on the TV, The Devil Wears Prada is on yeah. some, sta- some that, channel. And, um, and Dirty I just Dancing. called it Station. I think yeah. that may date me in terms of when I was born. No, I like Station. Good for you. Um, anyway. That and Dirty Dancing, I think, are just always... There's somewhere somewhere in the world that they're always on television. Well, look, if the Devil Wears Prada is on, I will watch. I will watch the rest of the thing, and I will also mute every single scene between Anne Hathaway and, and Adrian Grenier. Oh yeah, why is she dating him? Anyway, well, then we, the, yes. the, the, I mean, the, it's so they problematic. end up together. It's so problematic. He's a jerk. And I'm like, wait, so you're mad at her for following her dreams? She this has is a job. Really confusing what is this? It's it's trash. Strange anti-feminism mixed it's, into this extremely. It's. Complete, what are we doing? It's complete But it trash. does feel realistic. It you know does what I mean? Feel, I mean, Powerful I, woman discovers who she is, but she still has a trash boyfriend. That's why I just married myself last Did year, you? because I just can't. Are you serious? Yeah. I didn't even notice those stunning rings. <laughs> yeah, it's just a little something <laughs> subtle. <laughs> those are fucking huge. <laughs> You have huge diamond rings on your. Well, on I your- just thought I should um, marry myself, and I and you know I really thought I deserved a pretty major proposal. Did you propose to you? I proposed to me. Where on, did you do it? On Christmas Day, my parents were there and everything. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. My mom helped me find the diamond. She was oh, so into it. My God. Yeah. Just a moment of silence. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. And okay. what I love about it is that the reaction it gets. A lot of people are like that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. Why I should do that? And some people are like you're insane. <laughs> that's nuts. And like, how is that insane? Like, so, if I were to buy this for somebody else, it's technically theirs. And most marriages end in shit. And so then I just you don't have to tell me. And then, anyway, keep going. <laughs> oh, fuck. And then I just lost that ring because it's technically that person's ring now. Yeah, you're making a lot of good points. So why um, not buy it for myself? Because then it's always mine. And if like I if I go crazy and spend all my money, I could just I could just take this to the pawn shop. Can I see this? Of course you can. Oh, you don't even have to take it off your fa- finger, but you can. Oh yeah, just try it on. Oh all right. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'll just get this resized. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, 
That's amazing. But no, you're right. The, what happened in the Devil's Wear Prada, that, it, that's happened to me before because I do love my job so much. And it's like, it's hard to not work a lot when you love what you love, especially when your dreams are coming true after a very long time. Like I didn't have my first hit until I was 34. And I know that's young, but for the music business, I was, my time was almost up. It was right. like, oh, can we really let a 35 year old in to write with like songs right. that, that kids are going to love? Um, if you've had a hit, they, they'll let you stay as long as you want. Well, as long as you keep having hits, but that's a whole other story. But so like it happened very late for me. And when it did happen, I, it's like, I'm not going to like turn down amazing sessions to go like hang out with someone I'm dating. So I just married myself because fuck everything. So is that, is that actually like where you are right now in your romantic human life that it's very difficult to maintain a relationship? It's, it's, um, I just don't want to make, it's just not, there's no way it's going to be a priority for me. And I think that it has to be a priority, you know? Um, it's not that like, I'm like a celibate, um, monk or something, but it's just not the priority. Um, and I think that the majority of human beings want it to be a priority. Does that make sense? Sure, it and does. And I think that's okay sense. for them. If you want a relation, if you want your relationship to be the number one thing in your life, that's amazing for you. That's just not amazing for me. Well, I think also what you're talking about is a little bit of a look. You are right that I mean, generally, we both are under the umbrella of the entertainment industry. Yeah, and I don't totally know what this is like if you're say like a lawyer, like I have no idea, (laughs) but, um, I will say that when, when you're, when your train is moving, like you just have to stay on the train. Yeah. And that is because you don't know when it's going to slow down and you also don't, and then it might speed up again. It's not. And because we love it. And that's the thing I think people can't understand. It's like, it's not just like you're putting so much time into your work. It's like, no, I'm putting so much time into what I love. It makes me feel fulfilled. And I do have an amazing family and I have like the best group of like 10 friends in the world out here in LA. And so it's like, I take my friendships and my family seriously, but they all understand if I have to cancel at noon our dinner plans because something just came up. They're all like, yes, go get it. Like live, live. We love you. We'll see you next week. Whereas I think when it comes to like romantic relationships, people's feelings get really hurt. Although I will say, I think some of this is, some of this is also specific to queerness because Mm. like if you were, and I actually don't totally know who you date or who you're open to dating, but like, I think if you and if you and I were, um, like straight dudes, you yeah. know, straight cis dudes or whatever. Uh, and we could partner and the person that we partnered with would like culturally um, be taught to expect sort of whatever we give. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's truly like you look at people that are married. Like I think about somebody that's married to a politician. It's right. literally like her because it's so often her. Right. Her job is to literally just be. Like I'm available whenever yep. to say nothing, yep. look nice, yeah. and then leave. Like, yeah. it, like, and I, and I, um, and just what you're talking about about yeah. like canceling obligations. I think that in the, you know, that some of these jobs that we have are not meant for us. Right. Actually, like they're created in a system. Like the idea that you should be able to work, um, you know, 14 hours a day is sort of predicated on the fact that there's like somebody at home. Yeah taking care of the house. And so I just think that we're, we're living in, it's amazing that we get to do these jobs and also these jobs aren't built for us. Yeah. You know, the, the American dream is like not built for queer people. Of course not. Yeah. And certainly, and not women and also not people who 
um, are marginalized in other ways. Right. Like no, the American not, dream is built for white cis straight men. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, That's a great you point. know, I think that some of what you're talking about is like, mm, I can think of like a lot of women who like a lot of straight women who like. That's actually what they signed up for, and oh, they don't true. believe that they can complain. Right. So that sounds I don't know. terrible. It is. It does sound terrible. Yeah. Well, and I also want to. I feel like a, it's a. That's a good moment to kind of transition into this other thing that I yeah. was going to ask you about, which is. Well, how, first of all, how do you, how do you identify as a human? Identify as queer and gender nonconforming. And so I think about you being involved in these big hits, and mm-hmm. I think about. How, yes, clearly you've already stated that your goal is to serve the person that you're working with and yeah. their vision, but you also, we can't erase our identities. So of course I, th- not. I think about how you being the person in the room is impactful and awesome because maybe you're going to use word choice that's a little different, or maybe you're going to For sure. be expansive. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, as I said before, my, my job is to serve their vision. But I, I do think that queer people have a really special um, power of storytelling. I think that we understand the underdog perspective better than most people, um, for better or worse. I wish that we didn't understand the underdog perspective so well, but we do. Um, I think that, um, you know, like uh, in... This I'm very proud of, you know, a lot of, I'm proud of all my songs, but there's a couple that really stand out. Obviously, like Halsey's Bad at Love, you know, where she uses male pronouns in the first verse in a romantic way about people she's talking about. And the second verse, she uses female pronouns. Um, and I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure it, that song went number two on radio all over the country. I don't think there's ever been a song on the radio that's used same-sex pronouns um, in a romantic way that was that big. Um, so I am, you know, because we can't count wow. I Kissed a Curl, Katy Perry. We can't count stuff like that. That's not romance. That's not love. That's That was a stunt, right? Um, so that makes me endlessly proud. Um, and I have to also be honest, she wrote those verses by herself. I wrote the pre-chorus and the chorus with her, and she went and like into the corner of the studio and wrote those verses alone and got on the mic, and I was like, oh, fuck. Like, this just happened. So I didn't even do it, but I do, I think in a subconscious way, you know, she was writing with the most openly queer songwriter in the business and was like, here we go. You know, and she's written other songs. I'm not taking credit for it. She's written other songs using same-sex pronouns, but that makes me super proud to be a part of that. Um, That is a big deal. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yes, that's a very big deal. That that when you're specifically... Well, and I don't mean, I'm trying to figure out how to say this without sounding like a, like, like, for instance, um, when Sam Smith was first, mm-hmm. was first appearing on the scene. Yeah. A lot of his stuff was like very, um, uh, a lot of stuff that he was singing was, it was kind of unclear what he was talking about. Yeah. Um, and. Which has happened forever. Melissa Etheridge, yeah. you know, never oh. used, it was always just you. Yes. It was never he, or sorry, it was never she, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Or he, she yeah. wasn't, you know, she was like, it was like, okay, I'm not going to lie, but I'm not going to like right. go. And now Sam is going and it's fucking Which fabulous. Which is awesome. Yeah. Yes, I totally agree. And um, then, it, but anyway, for, for, for just it to, you know, you think about how pop music, it's just a, it's like the, 
sea that we're all swimming in. Uh-huh. So yeah, it matters. It if, matters if there's something like that. Yeah, and on then the um, in this Selena song because she just put out two songs back to back, and the one that the one that came out second that just came out last night it's called Look at Her Now. I'm beyond proud because in the bridge she says, "I know I'll find love, but only if I want it." And so that's not necessarily a queer message, but that is a message I'm very proud of, of we don't all have to be in traditional relationships. That's not, that's not the, that's not a rule. That's some weird rule that someone decided that's fucking bullshit. And so like that makes me, that's not a queer statement, but that is a statement just about love and romance and sexuality in general that I'm like, well, one of the biggest pop stars in the world just said, I know I'll find love, but only if I want it. Like that's fucking, so I do think that I get to, I get to bring things in, um, even though that song, and if you're listening to this and then you go and listen to Selena's Look at Her Now, that it's very clearly a song about her life and not my life. But that lyric definitely did come from my brain, that that specific lyric about, I, really, I just want people to know that. I want mm-hmm. young kids to know you don't have to just be in some shitty relationship because the world tells you to get in a relationship. Sure. Like, do it only if it fulfills you. Um and so the, to answer your question, I do have examples of where I feel like it, my queerness and what I stand for has affected the song. Or, um, you know, Dan Reynolds has spoken many times about um, when we, before we wrote Believer, we would just spent uh, two days hanging out, getting to know each other and talking about it was during the election, um, the 2016 election that ruined all of our lives. Um, <laughs> that one it was during the election. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we were talking about all this shit and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And then so when it came time to get, write the song, we weren't consciously trying to write about anything that was happening in that time. But he did say that like, the conversation and my point of view and my perspective as, of a queer person, how afraid I was for Trump and Pence to win, it did like inspire parts of what he was saying. Um, so I think my queerness has affected a lot of my songwriting and that makes me um, endlessly proud. You know, when I was young... And I, I did like a solo singer-songwriter piano-based thing for a while, basically just trying to be like Ani DeFranco, but on a piano. Um, and I'd always get called like, you know, gay songwriter, queer songwriter, blah, 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 and singer-songwriter, singer-songwriter. And, I, and that would kind of upset me. And I'd be like, well, no, but I'm more than just that. And now I'm like, no, my queerness affects what I do in a positive way. So please call me a queer songwriter activist. Please call me, please put queer in front of everything I do because everything I do is queer because I'm fucking queer. <laughs> <laughs> Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! You being the person that you are, I mean, I would say for for artists, but but also for other songwriters, we are still in an era where it's unclear. I mean, I think we're maybe 
I think we've also seen it, it affect people in a positive way, but we're still in an era where it's unclear whether or not it can tank your career if you're mm. out. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I look at like make me feel and everything that Janelle Monae did yeah. with the album that that was on. What album is that even called? Whatever that whole, whatever that's called. Yeah. <laughs> like all, everything that she was doing at that time um, was, and like, I've, I have, I was like into when she was doing like, I'm a robot. Like I was into her then during that <laughs> era and I've liked her ever since. Um, but I still think uh that's huge. That's, That's that huge. was a huge transition yeah. for her to be talking, um, sort of more in the first person about sex and love, and then also just like the videos that came out yeah. to accompany all of that. You know, this is still a risky thing, and it does matter if you have people in the room. If you're a young artist, if you're an any age artist, yeah. and you have and you're surrounded by, you know, I just think about like who I assume are most of the record record executives. Yeah. Like it's you know. I know that people are getting messaging like, can you tone it down or can you whatever. So oh, I if got you're in the, the room and you're and you are just a positive, if you're just a positive, just having you in the room, yeah, is that affects things too. You got that messaging all the time. When I to when tone I, it down in my band, Sandy Parsons Weapons, we were signed to three different major labels, um, and it'd be this, the craziest fucking thing because these executives would come to our shows, they would see the whether it was 500 kids or a thousand kids, whatever it was, uh, say kids, they weren't all kids. There were some kids, but some, you know, 20 year olds, whatever. Um, see the fans and going crazy. Right. And they'd feel that energy. And I was in full makeup and six inch heels and pantyhose I was gonna ask and a leather jacket, <laughs> um, platinum blonde, long hair and like the whole thing. And they would be so excited by the energy and they would sign us and everything would be amazing. And then like right before the music would come out every single time on all three labels, because we were signed and dropped three different times. Well, four different times, but one was an independent label. That was a whole other conversation. But Every single time they'd go, so, okay, we're about to like take photos and shoot the videos. Can we tone it down? Now, it's not because we're homophobic and it's not because we don't believe in your vision. We're just trying to help you reach the masses. We are here to help you. And the first two times I said, no, fuck off, fuck you. This is what we're doing. This is what you signed. This is what my fan base wants. They're not massive, but if I change too drastically, they're going to fucking smell bullshit and hate me. Blah, blah, blah. And the third time after being beaten down so many times, I did try. And that just was our biggest failure ever. And I, it's like, um, so I, it does happen in the industry. I think it is luckily changing because slowly but changing and a lot of work needs to be done, but I am seeing positivity because the internet holds the power now, not record labels. So record labels, and I have, I am in partnership with Warner Records to have a label. So I am a part of the label system as an executive now. Um, you do need the label system to do a lot of things. There's a lot of heavy lifting to do, but the kids hold all the fucking power on the internet. They, they decide in minutes whether they like something or not. So there are still gatekeepers. There are still things to get through, especially to get to radio and, and, and to get on late night TV and all that sort of stuff that you need. Um, but labels have to kind of, okay, well, if millions of kids on the internet fucking love this, I guess we, we have to say yes. You know what I mean? Like, and if you say something shitty and the artist is um, confident enough, and that's not shade to the artist because I've been insecure in moments like that when you just want to succeed so bad that you make you you let them change you. But if the artist is confident enough, every executive knows they can just 
tweet what the executive just told them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, things are changing, and it's because, like, what people like has been democratized a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Not a lot. There's still a lot of control, of course, in advertising and blah, 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 right. blah, blah. But, like, if people like it, people like it. Um, but I think there's also so much internalized homophobia and femphobia in ourselves that I feel like it's sometimes really hard for queer people to like things made by queer people. Um, you know, we would much rather see um, straight, cis, female pop stars acting out queerness instead of seeing queer people act out queerness. Um, because seeing queer people act out queerness makes us insecure and feel like, oh, fuck, I'm like a kid and everyone knows that I like queer things and I'm going to get like called a faggot again, you know? Um but if we see straight women acting out queerness, we're like, yes, queen, yes, you are the gay icon. Shouldn't shouldn't gay people be gay icons? Um, yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> Strong yes. <laughs> so it's not just like the executive label system holding things down. I think queer people need to really dig deep and um, start accepting queer artists as our icons too. I totally agree with you. I had the I saw I saw Katie Lang. <laughs> Um, Greatness. At the Ace Hotel, which is like a— Great venue, by the way. Great venue. It's like—it's— And I had—I had—I had—somebody gave me tickets, so I was front row. (laughs) Yes! (laughs) Yeah! Um, But anyway, um, I went to that show, and I was very curious about who was going to be in the audience. Uh. And it was— it was queer folks, I guess. There were a lot of men there. A lot of men there. Yeah. And there were also a lot of straight people there. Yeah. Um, because, like, at the time that that Katie, like, was sort of first on the scene and, like, yeah. making a lot of waves, um, I think that straight people were maybe confused about what was going on or, like, it wasn't, like, sold the same way. And so yeah. they just, like, started listening to the record. And so then now those men are— 60 and they can come see Katie and not feel weird about themselves. Well, it's my mom talks about all the time, like when Liberace was Liberace. Exactly. And she was like, well, my even my mom's mom, my grandma would just be like, well, but he's in show business. Yeah, exactly. It was like the back then it was just like the the show business would like cover up anything. It was like, we, my child can never be gay, but Liberace, he can't be. My, my, sorry, my child can't be feminine, but Liberace can be. And he's still straight because he's in show business. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and even though like, I mean, Katie was like, how, I mean, it was, but it just, Yes, it yeah. was a little different. It was in the it was more it was more in the Liberace vein of things, <laughs> yeah. where it was like, yeah, this person's being shaved on yeah. the cover of Vanity Fair oh, by, so by so Cindy Crawford, but like, but we don't know what that means. Yeah. You know, like it's like, but that can mean anything. You know, <laughs> yeah. like it's, it's art. Uh, yeah, exactly. Those artists are crazy. Um, but it was. I have. I will say, I have actually never seen anything like that. I mean, Katie, mm. first of all, has. Um, is one of those artists that has like really taken care of her voice and has like the same voice. Yeah. Um, so powerful, like has to move microphone away from face Uh kind of a thing. Cause you're just like, you don't even like put that down if you need to, like if it it feels like you don't even need that, don't (laughs) even worry about it. Um, but I will say, okay, so this person is, I don't know how old Katie is, but like an age that we don't usually see women on stage anymore. Yep. Also like haircut we never see on stage. Yep. Also not super tiny, like not wayfish at all. Yeah. A normal human body. Yep. And um getting like cheers from 
an audience where there's a shit ton of men, I was like sitting there going, and because of where my seat was, like I, the audience was behind me. And then I was literally like, like just kept turning around to be like, are you all, is it still who are you guys? That's you making this noise. You know, like I just couldn't believe it. And so as much as when you're saying, you know, that we applaud from female pop stars, the, you know, queer, queerness, yeah. queer, queerness. I think that another thing that I just am so curious when we all see is like, uh, is masculinity that like is, I don't know what the better, I wish we had better words, but hard masculinity. Mm. Like Katie is like doing masculinity, Yeah, you know? And, um, I wonder when we'll see that too. That would be amazing. I don't know. I don't. Well, and I think what you're saying too, it's, it's also a, a cis female pop star who is naturally masculine embracing that. Yeah. Because I, I think that, and, and there are, there are some that are doing it, of course, but like, I think a mega star doing it would be very helpful. I think you're right. Having a queer femme man who's, a, and Sam Smith is now doing it now, but yeah. it's a, it's a, it, Sam is embracing every femme aspect of their magical being. Um, but it will be interesting to see if we can ever have that coming from the start. You sure. know, where we're now, um, thank goddess Sam is able to express their femininity and still have hit songs. Um, because we all know and love Sam now. You know what I mean? Like moms in the middle of the country are like, Sam Smith is the best singer in the world, so we have to just love Sam Smith. Um, so I, but I, I, if someone could start their career as a femme queer man, yeah, that would be amazing. If someone could start their career as a butch, you know, whatever queer woman, you are, yeah, 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 that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that um, time will tell. We'll see. We'll see. What pronouns do you use? Uh, all of them, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I think if if the they them option was there when I was younger, I would be like very strictly they them. Um, but now it's like they, them, or whatever. Um, you know, the only thing that really makes me cringe is I have two dogs, and when people call me, like, their dad, that makes me, like, <laughs> disgusted. Oh. I'm like, oh, I am not anyone's fucking dad. I am their mother. That is so <laughs> fucking gross. Um, I, which is, I think is a great example of how, how weird pronouns are. You know, like, sure. when I do get... Um, when people do use they, them, especially in public spaces, it does bring me like so much joy and it brings me like a sense of relief. Um, but I'm not like a, a stickler about it. And that's just me personally. If you're listening to this, I'm not speaking for all gender nonconforming people. Right. Um, for me personally, um, they, them is preferred, but he or she is totally fine, but never dad, never uncle. I have many nieces and nephews, um, and they all either call me auntcle or auntie. So <laughs> um, uh, oh my God, that's good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, um, I was going to, I was asking because I was imagining that you are often in pers- in professional situations mm. where you might be an outlier, like just because you, because you're dealing with execs in, in, yep. like this. Uh, sometimes I have folks in here who are more on the artist side of things. Yeah. Um, and I think that you're somebody who's probably often like surrounded by suits. And so yes, that's pro- there's probably a lot of listeners yeah. here who find themselves in that position. And, yeah. and so I'm curious, given that you are, and, and I know you said that you're flexible, but if, yeah. you're ever, if you ever are suggesting to folks, how do you, do you ever suggest to folks, like you're in a room full of people, do you ever suggest this is what I actually prefer? And it, the answer could be no, I don't know. Yeah, no, the, um, if I ask, if people ask, of course, I always tell them. Um, and 
if, if people do call me like bro or dude, I will correct them because that does make me cringe. And that feels like, what would you say? Uh, I think like, please just, if you need, if you don't want to call use my name, like girl or queen or any, that is much more preferred. <laughs> so I do it in a way, um, which again, this is not for everyone. I do it for me and for my business and for everything. I do it in a way that is funny. Um, and that just makes me feel more comfortable because I don't want to blow up the conversation. I don't want to make someone feel stupid. I don't want to make them feel, um, like they were disrespectful. Um, because there's a lot of education that needs to go into this and I'm willing mm. to do that education. So I would rather do it in a funny way so that we can like move forward. Um, and then, you know, luckily a lot of people, and what's funny is it's, it happens through press releases. Um, if I do something with an artist on this label and um, Peter and Luke, my lovely publicist, the press release says they and them and they all start to go, oh, oh okay, I guess we're supposed to do that now. And so you will see like people who have to proofread press releases, those are the people that use the correct pronouns for me, um, <laughs> which I'm totally fine with. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, so it's an interesting thing. For me personally, I don't, uh, I rarely stop the conversation unless I get dude or broed. Because to me, a d- dude or broed is like disrespectful. <laughs> wow. Like, I mean, I, we all have different lines. Yeah. So yeah, I'm exactly. You're yeah. only speaking for you. And yeah. Um, that is so interesting that, well, as you were talking also, like I have a, you know, I have a dog too. And it's funny because God, this shit is, it is so weird where this shit pops up. <laughs> so it weird. is so weird. <laughs> like I very strongly, like, even as I say this, I have like my chest is like puffing out. Like I'm always like my son, like I, I call my, which first of all is like actually about like, it's actually about like his gender, but, but, um, and, and like, I, it's not because I need to, like, I'm not the kind of person that's like, it's he, like, I don't yeah. care about that at all. Yeah. But for some reason that relationship and for, and when I'm saying that, I think what I mean is I'm the dad. Like, I yeah. think that it's like, the, I'm realizing that the way that I say uh-huh. that, like, I miss my son or something like that. Like, I'm, I think I'm, I mean, like, we're, cause we're going to go out and throw the ball around. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and it's really like, that's about me. Yeah. And by the way, he doesn't care. Cause so like, so it's, I don't feel like I'm like <laughs> no. taking away his agency yeah. because he doesn't care because he's a dog. Um, but, right. but, um, yeah, it's so funny. It's the different really... places that this, pops up. I also am surred more frequently now that I have like this haircut than mm. I, I, cause I used to have like different hair and, and got surred, um, way less frequently, but then the correct adjustment to that, which I don't even, sir is fine. Yeah. Um, but the correct adjustment then is not, is then sometimes ma'am. And then I'm like, no, is that not, more? Yeah. Correct. I don't yeah. know what's, I don't know what's. It's, it's so, it's like, you know, there are cultures right now. I prefer first class passenger. No. <laughs> Hollow Excuse fucking Louia. Excuse me, first class passenger. Yeah. Um, what can I get you? No, Hollow anyway. fucking Louia. <laughs> no, I mean, there are cultures right now where they're, they don't, they don't gender things. You know, yeah. like there's, um, that I'm going to get this probably wrong, but there's like, there's a Filipino restaurant in LA called Sir Ma'am because the joke is I have, I have two amazing artists signed to my company who are both Filipino and they explain that, why that it's called that because the joke is they don't use, they don't gender things there. So they, um, they always say to people, hello, sir, ma'am, because they're not sure which one to use because in their, they don't fucking gender things. And if, if anyone's listening to this and I've messed that up somehow, please 
message me, correct me. I'll be, I, I, I will, I will accept my mess up with love. Um, but I know it's something along those lines. And, um, I think that's so beautiful. It's like the joke in their culture. is like, we don't know, why are you gendering everything? We don't know how to do this. So we're just going to call everyone sir, ma'am, because we're just going to hope one of those is right. And it's like, sure. So if there are other cultures right now who are like smart enough to be like, what the fuck are we all doing? You know, we also have languages that are gender objects. And it's like, we are just setting everyone up for failure. We're all, we're all doing the best we can. Yeah. And sometimes it's not that great. And sometimes it's great. It's, <laughs> you know a, I mean? it's a real, real pendulum. Yeah. But no, it is interesting how it shows up. And it's like, for me, I always was so obsessed with um, very like powerful feminine energy, whether that's Sharon Stone, whether that's Ani DeFranco, whether that's Gwen Stefani, Courtney Love, blah, blah, blah. That is, to me, that always seemed like the highest form of being. And so like, I consider myself like a fucking boss, but like, I'm definitely like, if in like, with my dogs, I am their mother in, in, in my past, when I used to be in relationships, I was definitely like viewed myself as like this very powerful, sexy, glamorous woman. Like, yeah, I mean, as we said <laughs> earlier, I have seen the Devil Wears Prada. I know what you're talking about. I know what a powerful woman looks like. You know what I'm I can identify one so in front of me. I am Meryl Streep and yeah. Anne Hathaway. <laughs> yes. No, I'm definitely not. Yes. I'm definitely not. Wait, I want to ask you some questions about presentation yes. as it goes along with what we're talking about. Sure. So you have short hair now. Yes. Um, and when did you? When did you move from? Because you said you had long. Yeah, like when lo- did you move like from? Long in the front. Oh, long in the front. Yeah. Um, it was like um. Yeah, I had like a, I had like a reverse mullet, you know. Um, um I've had them. Yeah, <laughs> I've had them. Have so we all? Have, we all have. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, you know, if if I'm going to an event or something, I still am definitely dressing a lot more femme. Um, and there's always a heel involved, and there's always a lot more makeup. But I st- I cut the hair off, um, and there, oh, even when I was wearing full makeup, though there was always five o'clock shadow. I was going to ask about that too. Yes, because um, I just thought it was. Why well, I thought it was beautiful. It's like it's like I was just growing contour. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I didn't. You know, it's just like it's already on my face. Um, but uh, I just love for some reason that's how I think I look the best to myself. And so why not look the best to myself? Because fuck everybody else. Um, and it was kind of when I went behind the scenes of the music business instead of trying to be in the front of the music business um, that I started to. I like to say I dress like like a lesbian art teacher is like my my goal of like fashion these days. Um, so to me, it still is femme, but it's like definitely not like high punk femme, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm. I mean, even well, even like your, you know, your face. Or you're wearing eye makeup right now. Of course. Yeah, I mean, I mean, literally, I had to ask it's the after question. 9 that's how much. That's how much. That's how connected I am to eye makeup. I'm like, you're wearing eye makeup. There's a little bit of highlighter. There's the mascara. There's mm-hmm. a little like very light like contour, crease contour. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I see this. There's a little pink on the cheeks. Yeah, you know, just so I looked awake when I talked, <laughs> when I came to see you. <laughs> but you know, we're kind of doing. You and I are almost doing like opposite. I don't know. Like maybe okay, because I I actually really like to wear makeup when I. Um, not, I, first of all, I do not put it on my own face. I don't know how to do that. And I don't want to learn, (laughs) but, um, I do like to wear makeup. Um, like if I'm on TV or like if I'm going to an event or something, I really, and I, I also, uh, work with folks who, or, or learned how to ask for what I want, which is like, I kind of want to look like a, 
like I want I want the makeup that like David Bowie or Prince would wear. Like yeah. I want I want men's makeup. Yeah. Um, which is like not <laughs> what men wear on TV. By the way, right. men on TV just do. What is orange called? foundation? Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> they just do orange foundation. It, they just do um, what is called grooming, yes. which is literally like the guys that show up to do the same job I do. Like, didn't trim their beard? Like, mm. what, like, yeah. trim your fucking beard. But anyway, yeah. my point is, they get like, like a little concealer. There's somebody and like, like someone brushes their hair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they like remove like the stray grandpa <laughs> eyebrow. Exactly. Yeah. Which just started to happen to me, by the way. Oh, the, and yeah, like, yeah, and yeah. Like, we, yeah. Ugh. There's because there is certain things about as we discussed. I don't mind my five o'clock shadow, but like seeing like the grandpa eyebrows come in that are like I'm like oh no, this is this is a part of masculinity I wanted nothing to do with. So how so when you look at the five o'clock shadow for you mm. that can I mean I'm guess I'm because for me when I look at myself in makeup I still feel masculine mm. to me. It yeah. doesn't it doesn't feel emasculating. I like I really like it. Yeah. Um. So when you look at a five o'clock shadow that does not feel feminine to you. Or I mean that does not feel, that does not feel masculine. It doesn't. To you. I don't know. Couldn't explain why, but it doesn't. It, it feels. We don't need to explain why. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like as long as my eyes are feminine, um, as long as like my silhouette is never like a traditional male silhouette. So like I'll also wear super super oversized clothing sometimes. So I feel like I'm just like drapey, as oh, I said, like yeah. lesbian art teacher. What vibes. is a male silhouette to you? It's like, just uh, like triangle body. Yes. And not big shoulders, just, small exactly. waist, little so like little this, hips. This jumpsuit I'm wearing is like very cinched in the waist and it has like a weird butt flap. So it like is a different like it's got it's, it. It's not just like a like a worker's jumpsuit. It's like there's something else happening. Whereas I'm tr- I'm like, please get me your most square <laughs> worker's jumpsuit. <laughs> Isn't that amazing though? I think it's yeah. just like it's like written in our DNA. And of course there's cultural influences, but like what we find that represents ourselves. Well, and also how we wear our own bodies. Yeah. Because I, I wear, so I usually wear a jacket, Mm -hmm. um, when I'm on stage or performing when I'm on, um, when I'm being photographed, anything like that, because for me, it like, I mean, this is like so intense. All this stuff is so intense, but like, I actually have like a very large chest. I have like huge boobs. You can check them out. It's impossible not to look. I saw you, but how could you not? not. You just said it. Yeah. I have huge boobs, but, um, I feel like they can look like a chest, like not like, like when, like, first of all, if I'm not wearing clothes, it's a whole different thing. Right. Right. Cause we're we're all doing a different thing. Clothes or out of clothes. Right. But like when clothes, I feel like it can look like it can, even that can look masculine to yeah. me in my own mind. Yeah. But not if I wear, like, I can't wear, I can't wear um, women's shirts. Right. Um, I have to wear, like, a men's shirt because it's cut in a different way. And yeah. then I have to wear, like, a jacket on top. Mm. But then I feel like I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what a boy looks like. But it's like, I have, like, a D cup. Like, it's like, what, the distance between, like, the, but you can wear, you know, you can wear your own body. And if you like it, in you a like way it. That makes sense to you. Yeah. And also, I have no idea what size I am is something else that I've learned recently. I was just doing um a bunch of shows on the road with um Abby Wambach. I don't know if you know who that is. She's, like, the greatest soccer star of all time. Oh, yes, Men or yes, women, yes, right? Yeah. And apparently, um, I was told by her and other people that we are not the same size because she's <laughs> like 5'11 and fully has, I, what she told me was because she asked me my weight and then said I weigh 60 more pounds than you. But like, oh I think God. I am like a giant big man. Like I like, I'm like, I am a giant big man with See, like a, with like pecs. Like, I think I just I'm have, Sharon Stone. Yeah. So like, it just doesn't, it's just, I literally like, <laughs> it's like. Like, duh. Like, and, and it was when I used to be in the band, we would tour around and, and you'd have to use the bathroom in some fucking truck stop in the middle of nowhere. 
and I'd be like, and my band members would be, they were all straight and they were the, well, they all, st- they still are straight. I think, <laughs> I think, I don't know. Um, and they're the most lovely people in the fucking world. And they followed me on this crazy queer journey for 10 fucking years. Um, and they would be like, I, I like, do you want to change before you go in? Like, but they were just for my safety. They weren't, you know, it's like, what do you mean? It's going to be totally fine. Like I'm going to walk into the men's bathroom and use the urinal in fishnets and six inch heels. And they're going to love it because I look like Sharon Stone. <laughs> like what? <laughs> they're they're going to be thrilled. And they were like, Oh my God, we love you so much, but this is going to, and, and there was times there, it was wow. dangerous and they were, they were right. Yeah. Um, but they also were like, well, we'll just go with you. And if someone does something, we'll just protect you. Cause yeah, you shouldn't have to change. You're right. You shouldn't have to change your fucking clothes. If you want to wear heels and go to the men's bathroom, you fucking should be able to. Um, so it was, it was a very interesting, um, time. So here's the question that I, I think this might be one of our last ones before. And maybe this, you know, so you start, so starting as, you know, you're having this dream of having a band, being signed to all of those different labels yeah. and all the ups and downs that you've gone through. Yeah. Does this feel, how does it feel to you to then write music for other people? That's oh, amazing. You know, it's, it's a thing where I'm very, very um, grateful that it happened to me later. Um, you know, it was, it was by accident. I, the, the band was signed to our publishing side. So the, the, the record label side is one thing. And then your publishing, the songwriting side is a different thing. And the guy who signed us to publishing left the company, which I thought was going to be a really bad thing. But this amazing woman named Katie Vinton came into the company and I met with her and she was like, listen, I know that L.A. Reid at Epic Records, where you're signed, hates your band. And he's the new CEO and he fucking hates you. Um, so I don't, it's not looking good. But I could put you in sessions to write songs with and for other people because I think you're a really great songwriter. And I was like, okay, I, I'll try that. I'll try that. Um, and then the band was still happening. It wasn't like I'll quit the band and do that. It was like I did both for a year or so. Um, and I just found all this love in it because it, it, it takes a lot of pressure when you're creating art that um, you don't have to, it doesn't, it's not defining you. It's defining somebody else. Um, and you can see that better. I can meet someone, I can hang out with them and go, this is, this is how people are seeing you. If you like that, let's fucking keep going. If you want to change that, I think we should do this and say this and make this kind of sound to get what you want. And it's a lot easier to, um, to help someone else execute their vision than it is for you for me, I should say, to dig inside and be like, this is who I am and this is what it sounds like and this is what it looks like and this is what I say and this is what you play. Um, so I found all this amazing love and joy in it. And um, also that level of fame is, is, uh, isn't is fun. Um, I, th- you know, I think uh, anyone, will, anyone who is, has had multiple number one songs, you know, enough, enough songs that have been big enough where the whole world knows their face, that's not... That's not fun. Making the art is fun. Singing is fun. Playing those shows, I'm sure they have a fucking blast. But the idea, the celebrity is, that level of celebrity is not fun. Um, so I think it was an amazing blessing for me that I still get to make music that the whole world hears, which is what the real goal was. Um, and now I've been given this platform and um, I've been given these different levels of privilege, whether that's financial privilege or my the privilege I have with the connections that I've been able to make as a songwriter, that I get to make you know, a lot of real change. Um, I started when I was in high school, I did an an AIDS benefit at my school to raise money for local HIV and AIDS um, uh, foundations. And that 
still happens now at my high school every single year, 23 years later. And so since I was 17, I like this idea of art and activism was really what I wanted to do. And chasing the dream of being famous, it was hard to bring activism along with that because you're just trying so hard to get there. Um, and the songwriting thing has made it to where now I can be on the board of GLAAD. I can raise money. I can give money. Um, I can do all these amazing things that I always dreamed of doing. So, um, the transition to songwriter was like, okay, actually, this is fucking fine. <laughs> this is great. That's amazing. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm so glad that I. I mean, that I grabbed my. I grabbed my heart. I reached into my <laughs> chest and I grabbed my heart. Um, you know, it also strikes me that. Look, you can tell me if I'm way off base here, but I don't know. It sounds like maybe you, you did know who you were. And you were presenting that to the world, and maybe that wasn't exactly right for what other people wanted, but that you're having that experience yourself makes you somebody who's particularly good at seeing identity in others, and that that would make you, your experience has actually sort of prepped you for the job in life that you have now in well, a really you. specific way. Thank you. I, th I think... Um I think it definitely has prepped me in a very specific way. And it also is so amazing to see whether it's Sam Smith, who's talked about my band and posted about my band multiple times l later about how influential we were to him, uh, to, to them, I'm so sorry, um, or to um, Sinead Burke, who's this amazing activist um, from Ireland who saw me perform in 2010 uh, and it reshaped her. So even though the band didn't get to where I wanted, me living that truthfully and living that queerly um, really uh, affected some people who have now gone on to do some really fucking cool things. And every time one of those come up, I text my band members, you know, we still have like a group chat and I'm like, well, we went broke like seven different times doing this band, <laughs> but look at what we did and look at what we did. And we got, this person did this because they saw us do that. And, um, it's a really beautiful thing for all of us to see now after the band has now been over for six years, there's still, there's still people that show up doing awesome things that we were a small part of inspiring. Hmm. Well, before I send you back into your day and thank you for your time. Thank you for your time. Um, I just want to ask you to shout out a queero, which is like a person, place, or thing made you feel that you can be who you are today? Um, a queero would be, um, uh, can I say, can I do two? Yes. Okay, so I've already said her name like five times, but Ani DeFranco, um, she was the first artist I ever heard use same-sex pronouns in a song and kind of changed my life radically and drastically. Um, and then another queero is Eve Ensler. Mm -hmm. Um, because we don't believe in bi erasure in this house, so I just named two bisexuals. Um, <laughs> um Eve Ensler and I have gotten very close recently. Um, we're working on a project together. And uh, her joy and her radicalism and her determination to change the world in every single syllable she uses um, inspires me uh, to do even better than I'm already doing. Wow, that's awesome. You know, I have actually, I have gotten to introduce both of those people. <laughs> yeah, I've got to introduce Ani at a, the like women's march after party that was that I hosted that was for Planned Parenthood and so awesome. I got to introduce Eve at uh, a benefit for the LA LGBT Center and awesome. that was also you know my parents are that was when my parents actually came out they were visiting and I got them tickets to that to the LA LGBT Center benefit and they were sitting like at the at my table which was the the ta like the front row center yeah. table or whatever. And um, 
Carol King was also on the lineup. Wow. <laughs> Which is just like, sometimes you're like, mom and dad, look. <laughs> I don't know if I'm doing great or not, but Carol King, you know, like, and, and you know, <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. It's fun sometimes That's, to get to share things with other people that. At the BMI Awards, which is like the kind of like the Grammys, but only for songwriters, um, my dad got to meet Carol King and he. We were just walking in and there's like this little mini red carpet, not the big one. There's a mini one where you just like take a picture with the two heads of BMI and I love them both. So I'm always happy to do it. And they now know my parents and they're always so happy. Oh, that's awesome. And so we're doing that picture with like the two heads and Carol King walks up. My dad looks at me and he goes, am I allowed to say hi to her? (laughs) (laughs) And what did you say? Because he's the biggest music fan in the world. And Carol King is one of his greats. And I was like. Yeah, of course you can say hi to her. This is like a private event. She's not going to think you're some crazy, annoying fan. Just go say hi. And he's like, well, I'm too nervous. I was like, well, you can pretend you're an executive if you want. My dad dad teaches tennis in the suburbs of Chicago. And he's like, I'll just tell her that I'm your dad. And I was like, okay, go for it. And he like went over and met Carol King. So we both have that same parent Uh, Carol King moment. Parent Carol King. I feel like she's one of the, she is a, a good, she's a good white people parent. You know what I mean? You're like, Mom and dad. Mom and dad. Uh, it was so, it was, look, you're delightful. Thank you. You're delightful. And uh, thanks for the awesome music that you make. Thank you for the, all the awesome shit that you do. Cheers. Yeah.